feelings deep in my feelings I've been doing way too much I've been running around in circles Trying to get back in touch With who I was before Someone first tried to tell me Who I was So I'm a god and I'm a fraud I guess I'm somewhere in between My cruelest thoughts about myself A perfect recipe My brains is doing shitty things And oh, the kitchen's always such a mess I am such a mess I'm gonna fail, so I'll just flail Another test I couldn't pass Treading water in the deep end But it's all over my head I'm drowning here and feeling soup But I am doing my best I'm doing my best Again so excited to have the lovely Frankie Simmons, the internet big sister, mocktail queen, um, self-tenderness bitch. We love her. <laughs> um, yeah, just all around really amazing, colorful, colorful human um, that we're really, really lucky to have on the pod. And yeah, Frankie, if you want to go ahead and just like introduce yourself, tell us tell us about you, what you do, what you are, who you are, all the things. We would love to hear it. Hello. I will also say that I completely forgot about the mocktail thing. And I was like, for a second, I was like taken aback because I'm the mocktail king and have been for a very long time. And I was like, oh. You didn't even realize you had a queen. Joins. Although- <laughs> no, we reigned this together. <laughs> I love it. It's amazing. Yeah, definitely immediately changing. I don't believe in royalty or hierarchies, so I'm a court jester, (laughs) and I don't believe in challengers, so, you know, no no land rulers, only court jesters. Got it. (laughs) Good to know where we stand on the political, uh, like, staging of the mocktail empire. So, uh, (laughs) but yeah, I'm so excited to be here, and definitely immediately changing my Instagram bio to self-tenderness bitch. I think that's uh, perfect. Um, but yeah, I'm Frankie. <laughs> um, I'm a content creator based in Fort Worth, Texas, general feelings enthusiast, soup enthusiast. Yeah, just like very happy to be here on all the levels. So thank you. Yeah, feelings enthusiasts. I'm obsessed with that. Honestly, we all are. And that's why we're here. <laughs> I am too. I call myself a pun enthusiast, but I am a feelings enthusiast. Can be an enthusiast of many things. Is there a synonym for enthusiast? I don't Um, know. Aficionado. uh, Ooh, Mm. aficionado. Maybe that's getting too complicated, (laughs) but feelings fan. I am a fan of feelings. Yeah, I'm a friend of feelings. Mm -hmm. It's like how people say a friend of the pod. Mm -hmm. I'm a I'm a friend of the, the the feels. 
I would say that I'm not always a friend of the feels and that's the thing I'm working on. <laughs> yeah. Very and is actually a thing that I feel like Frankie teaches me to work on. So wow. horrors are indescribable, but you've got to sit with your feelings. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> it is so true. Um, should we? Yeah. Frankie, I'm curious about like how you are feeling right now, feeling today, even this week. It's Friday as of right now. Yeah. Just love to hear about how you're feeling. Yeah. Today I am feeling pretty content. I feel like I'm very like centered and just like operating at a nice, happy, neutral at the moment. We were a little bit like tired, but overall just kind of like curious and excited to find out all the things. How are you feeling today? I love that. Um, I'm definitely feeling not grounded. Um, <laughs> I am feeling very like, I feel a little bit, yeah, out of body, which I think has to do with some of the meds that I'm on right now. got a steroid shot yesterday, and that really just kind of brings you out of your body in a weird way, autoimmune things. Um, But I do think that, like, I've been feeling quite a bit of, like, joy this week. There have just been, like, a lot of things that have made me really happy, um, which is cool because I feel like – knowing that that joy like is also um existing alongside like overwhelm and and grief and frustration around the world like just i don't know i'm i'm feeling a lot of gratitude for like the multitude of feelings that can exist at the same time hmm. yeah yeah what about you ellie i'm feeling weird <laughs> and i I do a lot of rituals, and right before this, I was about to take out my, like, uh, sunflower smudge, which is meant for, like, kind of, like, uh, ridding a space of, like, negative energy, just, like, bringing the vibes back to a a balance. And I was like, you know what? I'm actually – I just – want to be able to show up authentically mm-hmm. feeling weird with the vibes being in flux and like that's okay that's where I am um but I I took a walk to the grocery store earlier and I I cried a lot um mm-hmm. and it was it was a good it was a good cry I saw some good art on my way I got some good food when I was there I got some soup for this weekend so it's okay to feel weird. It's, you know, it's just a state. And I'm getting better and better at, like, letting myself feel in, like, a weird spot and just, like, letting it happen and, and mm-hmm. holding myself through it and letting it pass. It's yeah. taken 30 years to get here. Yeah. I was like, what's that like? <laughs> um, You'll... Uh, you know you're you're in you're in forms of therapy I've been in recently, so you'll you'll get there sooner rather than later. I think. True. This is a this is a totally new experience. Being in my body, processing the feelings, it, it's something. Yeah, I love that. Uh, we today, Frankie and I had a DM interaction where we both realized that we're entering our gym bro era via trampoline. Um, 
And okay, you told me that you have a trampoline and I want I've wanted one so badly and I think that I might just get a mini one for my backyard. There's like a million on Facebook Marketplace. I think it so I actually first got it introduced to the practice of jumping on your trampoline as like a nervous system regulator because it helps you downregulate your nervous system because you're like shaking. Um and but it's also a great workout. So it's very like like releasing very like landing into your body and also like genuinely hard I was like I'm gonna get on here and I'm gonna bounce for a good 15 minutes I'm like three minutes in have like a stitch in my side I'm like it's genuinely quite a workout so literally just jumping for joy there's a reason that we have the phrase jumping for joy in the world (laughs) it sounds like that (laughs) We're all going to start our own local trampoline. I mean, we're all in different places and we all believe that we should dissolve competition in the marketplace and that it's bad for us. And so everyone gets to start a trampoline class and do do jumping for joy. Mm-hmm. We're all in different places. Let's just all start tr- trampoline groups. You know how people have knitting groups? We start trampoline oh groups. Wow. Okay. Here for this. <laughs> well, I feel like okay. So we've established that Frankie, you've experienced some joy to, th- this week due to a trampoline, and probably other ways as well, obviously. <laughs> um, but I'm curious if there is like a harder emotion or feeling that you experienced this week that that you want to share with us, and maybe how you like moved through that. Yeah. I feel like this week, in the past, this year in general, I've been experiencing just like a lot of anticipation and like a prolonged period of anticipation. Like we're in this transition and just staying in the transition for a lot longer than I feel like this in-between phase should be lasting. And that's always a really hard space for me to be just like existing in prolonged uncertainty. And so, yeah, there's just like a lot that's in flux, like professionally and personally and just collectively. There's like so much that's like, we don't know what's going to happen or what the end is going to be. And it's interesting to me, I've been noticing how many different ways that anticipation can feel that it can show up as this like hope and excitement or it can show up as anxiety um, or dread like all of these different things that just like come back to this core of like I don't know what's going to happen next and there's no way for me to figure it out right now so I just have to exist right now and that's been yeah and a very interesting thing to like hold and make okay like just making it something that I get to just like sit into instead of feeling like I have to go out and like problem solve my whole entire life and just like eliminate all the question marks and Mm. I think it's it's been a good practice of like resilience Mm I I love that I love that you I love the way that you described anticipation because I also feel like that's the feeling I've been living in a lot lately but I don't think that I necessarily would have use that word for it. I Mm -hmm. think that I tend to, I got to stop saying I think because I really want to stop intellectualizing this. I know, I know, and I feel also, I feel this in my body that I tend to when I am in a place of anticipation and I feel those feelings, I then 
lean towards anxiety and it becomes Mm -hmm. anxiety that I like really feel in my body, Mm -hmm. even if a lot of the time it is a good type of anticipation, just the not knowing the question marks, the not being there yet um, because of the way that my nervous system and, and body and brain were trained and, and what I was conditioned into earlier in my life growing up. Like I tend to to lean towards that anxiety. And I'm curious, the question that brought up for me for you, Frankie, is when you are in that anticipatory state or different anticipatory states of being, how do you mm-hmm. tend to like act towards yourself and towards people in your life? Because you can mm-hmm. really like lean into the anxiety and the like, you know, fear and stress of that or more towards vulnerability and act all types of different ways towards people in your life. So I would be super curious to hear about that from you. Yeah. I love that question. Yeah. I think it depends on like kind of how it's showing up for me at that point. Um, A very big like coping skill for me that I actually have to like honor for what it does for me and also like put some parameters around it is like reassurance seeking from other people. And so it's very, it's very usual for me to just go looking for like, who can I talk to that I can like make tell me that it's going to be okay or like spit out all my problems onto and then hopefully they'll like dilute it down. And so it's been interesting noticing that in me that there's like this anticipation comes up and then there's almost like kind of a learned helplessness underneath it that I'm like, I don't know the answers. So like, let me go instead of just like sitting with it. Very relatable. Yeah. And being able to be like, I actually trust myself to hold this. I trust myself to find answers and to like reassure myself and like giving myself space to like practice that. Um, But it is very like, yeah, I can, and it's, it's like shadow state. I can tend to feel very like, just like stuck and like, I can't do anything. Just like I want to crawl into a little hole and like bring all my people with me and then be like, y'all tell me how to feel because I don't know yet. So Mm. this is hugely relatable to me. I feel like you've been watching my TikToks actually. (laughs) 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 No, because my mantra for the, the year or like what I am kind of trying to bring into every situation for myself has been I trust myself. I trust myself to make mistakes. I trust myself to figure out how to navigate them after I've made a mistake. I trust myself to not make mistakes. I trust myself to do things better than I, I, you know, gave myself credit for. I, I trust myself to be myself because I've also had that that huge experience in my life of so much of my life has been feeling really anxious um, or anticipatory about something or uncertain and having to go to having that learned helplessness, having to go to people I trust and asking them what I should do, what they think is right for me. And I got Mm. to this place last year after a lot of therapy where I was like, oh, I, I actually really need to practice trusting myself and going to myself for counsel. Mm-hmm. And then without going to other people who I do know love me and and know what's good for me, just letting myself be my counsel and deciding mm-hmm. for myself what's right for myself. And that is that is so that's so hard. I think that's one of the most difficult experiences and feelings to live in. Because everything in our society essentially like teaches us not to trust ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that 
that I think is interesting is like, I, I don't think I have ever once said to myself that I trust myself, which is probably something I should think, talk about in therapy. But like the, the, like I, when I, all of that is to say is that though I like the mantra I kind of tell myself instead is that like, I can survive this uncertainty, which is like, for me, like largely like in the context of like OCD, because I'm always going toward reassurance when like I need someone to tell me that the worst possible thing that's happening in my brain isn't reality. When like being able to sit with myself and be like, if this is actually, if this is or will be reality, like I can survive it. And so I do think, I mean, I think in a way it's like saying I can I trust think that myself. is a form of trusting yourself. Yeah. But I like, but, but it's I harder just, to say the words and believe that. Yes. Yeah. So I just, I think in the, my, like my version of that, like, is I can survive this, <laughs> you know, cause I think so much about like, so much about the way that I have felt or been treated because of my feelings, like make, makes it feel like unsurvivable in a lot of ways. Mm. And so I just, I find it really interesting that we all have like different words and like inner mantras for like how we navigate like a similar feeling, I guess. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think we also live in a world that expects us to have all the answers all the time and that makes it something shameful if we don't have the answers. So that experience of uncertainty is like, I'm being the wrong way and like I'm about to be found out and like all of these things. And so it leads to us like having to work really hard to never showcase that side of ourselves, which then definitely does make it feel very unsurvivable because it's like I'm going to lose my belonging and my connection and my okayness. And then that is yeah. a much well, bigger you're worried experience. About being judged if you don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a much harder thing to hold than just being like, I don't know, like that, that if we could just be with that instead of building all the stories on top of it, it would be, we'd have a vastly different relationship with it, which is something I've been trying really consciously over the past year to transform my relationship with uncertainty. And like the, the affirmation that I always come back to is my uncertainty is a creative force. Like there's actually, if I'm allowed to have a different relationship with my uncertainty, there's actually so much expansiveness because the uncertainty is signaling to me that there's a presence of possibilities that like there is something that I could do differently that there's like yes. there's more that could happen and so if I can sink into that then it's like it becomes this expansive thing where I get to like play and be curious and wonder and be in like the what if well like if you don't know what's yeah if you don't know what's gonna happen that means that you actually get to create what's gonna, exactly. gonna happen yeah. but that that's also scary because it's a yeah. lot of responsibility wow I have I have nothing to add. <laughs> I, 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 it's really just because I, I really feel like this, I'm still very much in the, um, like learning, like I'm just having the, like, I'm not in the, like, I'm having realizations about this thing. I'm just like, I'm still in it and being like, mm-hmm. how do I, how am I not mean to myself during these big feelings? Or when I'm like, having uncertainty because that is like my default, which is why I think like so much Frankie about what you talk about, like having self-tenderness and just like really shifting those inner narratives around how you talk about the stories that we build in our own brains, like has been so transformative for me because I just like my, my default. And I think so many of our default just for so many various reasons is just like 
that like being mean to ourselves and like just kind of punching down to ourselves. And so, yeah, I, I guess I'm like curious how you like began cultivating that self-tenderness. Cause I think that is like such a skill that like, I mean, I don't even have access to it fully yet. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just curious about how, how you connected with yeah. that part. Yeah. Um, it's been definitely like a, such a journey with like so many different like little things that it's like hard to distill down into one space. But I think for me, the biggest things were one, like growing up in a hyper-religious environment that's very much built around the assumption that like you are bad and like everything that you want and everything you naturally feel is bad and you have to work really hard against yourself. And like finally reaching the point in my like early adulthood where I was like, actually, I think this whole thing is like bullshit and like just being allowed to walk out of the church and claim different beliefs. Um, Yeah. So I grew up in (laughs) this hyper-religious environment that like really operated off the base assumption that you are bad. Like that was the foundation of everything else. And so once I left behind that worldview, really for like other reasons, it wasn't like, I don't want to believe I'm bad anymore. It's like, I don't, I don't want to walk around telling queer people that they're going to hell anymore. Like that was my big, like, I, I don't want to be in that anymore. And, but I found myself in this limbo of like, I get to choose new beliefs now. Like what do I actually think is true? And kind of in that period, I also came into um, a, a lot of like, I was researching a lot of like anti-capitalist thought and like, which I credit so much of my self-tenderness to like learning about like anti-racist, anti-oppressive forms of thinking, because I think that space of realizing what has been like done to us through these systems of oppression, all of a sudden it just clicked for me where I was like, oh, I'm not bad. That's bad. And like everything in me that I interpret as bad is just me trying to operate within the big bad, like, and being allowed to get mad instead of getting ashamed and be in that space, like opened up this whole new thing where I got to flip that base assumption on its head and be like, no, I'm actually good. And I've been asked to live Mm -hmm. in these really difficult places that have created these different patterns in me. And I was just like, I wonder what happens if I just build a whole life on the assumption that I'm okay. And that everything within me that I feel is not okay, like makes sense for some reason. And that's been kind of the long experiment I've been running for the past however many years now. I love that. And I love that also, like, I love the ways that you talk about it because you tie in anger and curiosity so closely together. And I really do, I think of them, I think of all feelings as cousins, really, but these two are very specific cousins. And the thing is that what I've noticed in my own relationships across the span of my life is Mm -hmm. that when you're in a hard moment with yourself or someone else, there are basically two routes that you go. You're in conflict and you either go towards anger and accusation or you go towards curiosity. And both are, I would say, coming from a place of self-protection, but very different kinds. You either go accusatory towards yourself or someone else because you are trying to create a narrative that makes sense for for your life and makes sense for what you're feeling in your body or what's happening in your life. 
or you ask questions because you want to understand more and you want and you feel like you um i don't know maybe just like have some more inclination towards um curiosity and that you can transform a situation by asking questions about it um and i think that you know there is no one way that people are i think it you know it changes moment to moment i would say that 90% of the time i much more lean into curiosity when someone does something that hurts me or i do something that hurts me i basically always go towards why what happened what led to this what did someone else say or do that maybe made me feel this way or what did i say or do that made me feel this way or like if it's a conflict with someone else like how can we see each other how can we understand each other better um and so i don't know i guess i would be i would be curious to hear um were there any people who you studied their work or connected to them or watched their TikToks or whatever it was, were there any specific people who come to mind who um, taught you to like maybe lean into that curiosity and self-compassion mm. a little more? Um, I always get really hung up on this question because I feel like I have everything that I am right now is like an amalgamation of like so many tiny different sources. And it's really hard for me to point at any one thing and be like, that's where I learned the thing. Yeah. Cause it's just been like the journey, you know? So, but I think that, yeah. um, I've learned so much from, um, I, I lean a lot into like political theory and political like philosophizers, philosophers. So people like, um, Audre Lorde and Adrian Marie Brown are people that I like turn to quite a lot for their work on like connecting with your body and being in your experience and being down to be curious. And like, um, those are, are things that I think are that curiosity. I love that you named that. Cause I think that's the core of self-compassion is being able to look at yourself and instead of like making a label, be like, Hmm, what's happening here? You know? And like, when you get into that, curiosity is like the, I don't, I'm not really a fan of doing opposites, but I do kind of feel like curiosity is the opposite mm, of shame. I, I, I would think that's a fair judgment to make. Yeah. And I think it is like, it, it is that space that your ability to not always, again, it kind of goes back to what you we were talking about before with uncertainty, that like uncertainty becomes kind of the foundation of self-compassion because your ability to be in a feeling and be like, maybe I don't know everything about this and maybe there's something worth discovering and sitting with here, like opens the space for you to get into it. And my full belief that has never been proven wrong yet is that as soon as you like have the curiosity to sit with yourself, like everything is understandable and nothing is the devil mm -hmm. and it like all has a reason and something that it desires and something that's worth listening to. Um, but yeah, it really does come from you being willing to be like, maybe I don't know all the things yet and like inspect that. Yeah. And it also leads you to a place where you're like, Oh, maybe mm -hmm. I'm not final. There's no final form and yeah. I get to keep I, going and learning. One of the like most, this, this was probably my first like introduction into like, self-compassion and like curiosity was like I had a therapist I was probably like maybe 21 or 22 or something and my therapist introduced me to like the tot what she called the toddler method and was like when you are having a really hard feeling that feels really impossible to sit with like be curious as if you're a toddler do you need mm -hmm. a nap 
a snack or a recess because probably the toddler in you needs one of those three things to, to start. And then like that will give you more capacity to like sit with yourself in that. And so anytime I'm like raging or sad or whatever, I'm like, okay, like where, like I, the, where's the toddler in me and what do they need? (laughs) I love that. And I've been doing that for myself my entire life. And also what I want to bring into this conversation is that also is so applicable to joy and to good feelings. One of my biggest practices is, and it happens when I am having anxiety and I also do it when I am having a, a lot of big good feelings. I will like go to a playground and I will swing on a tire swing or I will hopscotch yeah. or something. I'm like, I just need to like be in my body like a toddler. And I've been doing that my entire life. Like I'm like, oh, I'm having a really big feeling. I yeah. need to go play about it. And I I honestly, I just feel like if we all as adults approached ourselves from a much less Mm. serious lens, like we're taking ourselves too seriously to just go play or eat a snack or take a nap about it, we would show up to our our relationships with ourselves and other people so much more like refreshed and able to hold our feelings and other people's feelings. I, this actually... Freaky, we've Ellie and I have been talking a lot um, about like our experience on the internet uh, recently, and like we have been kind of in conversation about like how we treat one another, um, not only interpersonally um, but like also parasocially on the internet. And as the three of us are chronically online, as we like to say, um, and have you know varying levels of of followings and all of that, I, I'm kind of curious, like when when you are like, I, I don't know, like, how do you, what is, what is communicating your feelings when you're like in a state of, of activation or whatever? Like, I'm curious, like how you, um, like what that communication looks like for you, because we, we, the way that this ties into the internet is like, we've been talking a lot about like, when a lot of people, sometimes we, when we are disconnected from our feelings or our body are not coming from this place of curiosity or connection, mm-hmm. um, like we will lash out. Or we're just super connected to like right. shame, yeah. anger, yeah. fear, those things. But so that makes us disconnected right. from and, and so anyway, I, I'm just curious, um, like how whenever you are in any of those like activated states or maybe not operating from a place of of you know, tenderness or curiosity, like what does that communication look like? Or like, if you are just like, you know, having a harder day, like what is communicating with the people close to you, like feel like, um, Mm. I guess, and how do you navigate that? Yeah. I think I, both in terms of like real life interactions and also online interactions, when I am in um, a dysregulated state, I think my natural state is often like defensiveness where like I have a very when I get tired I need to be right and I have a very hard time with like anybody acting like I don't know everything like because I just I'm just in a place where and so I noticed that a lot like in online interactions where like I'll just notice like oh you've been mad at the last five dms you've gotten like 
all of these people aren't being mean to you. Like what, but it's just like people that asked a question in a way that I didn't like, or like sent me a suggestion. And I'm like, why do you think that I haven't already read that book? And I just like start to get very like antsy about not being like elevated in people's minds and not being right all the time. And I definitely find that also in like my, um, like, yeah, day-to-day interactions with the people in my life. And so, yeah, the ability, which I recognize is like not actually me connecting with other people in that space where I'm coming into this, like, are you validating my rightness or are you threatening my humanity? Like, that's not me able to like hear anybody connect with anybody. And so there's like such a different, like even just like physical sensation when I'm in a space where I actually am like available to connect with people and to like hear what they have to say. And it's been very interesting. Something that I like am always trying to be with is like being closer to which of those sensations I'm responding from, especially when I'm like online. Cause it's so easy for me to be like just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling for hours. And then I get a comment and I'm like, I hate you. And so like just (laughs) without even catching before that happens. So yeah, trying to like bring it back to like the body sensation of like, what am I feeling physically right now? And how is that signaling to me whether or not I'm available to connect with people right now? And if I'm not, then I should not try to at the moment and not try to be like available to people's feedback right now. Um, But it's, it's very, it's a lot of intention, like constantly. So I, I, I love this that you're saying. And it made me think about how like the whole thing about these evil corporations that have made sites like TikTok and Twitter and these sites that want us to be scrolling and getting into arguments with each other and just generally interacting because it means we like stay on the sites longer is that like they they want to trick you into thinking that you are always available to be on them and and like it just is a thing that happens without thinking especially the the larger the following you have is then it's like you you're incentivized to keep going back mm-hmm. to that site it's way harder to log off and so it's way easier to just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling until you don't even realize that you are in mm-hmm. an activated state a question i would have for you is like Um, do you have any practices, Frankie, uh, that you have or are currently trying to build where when you recognize you're in a state that you don't like how you're, how you're acting or how you're responding or maybe how you're talking to someone else or something like that, whether it's online or in your, your Mm. real life, um, do you have any practices or are you trying to build any practices for like sitting with yourself, moving through that? um forgiving yourself maybe or or just being okay with yourself for having that part of yourself that's not very nice or reacting in a way like all those things big complicated question but go with yeah. it wherever you want no to. I think my biggest the default thing that I feel like I always need in that space is just space and time like to so making it the default that I don't say my first thought or I don't feel the need to respond to everything immediately or I don't like because if I even give myself like one breath before I like need to have a reaction there's like so much more nuance that exists in that one breath that wasn't there initially and it's like the the stuff is always just behind the door and it's like I just have to give myself the time to like take a step back and 
yeah. And so it's, it's not even always like, oh, I need to go like meditate or move or anything as big as that. It's just creating a default reaction in me, like a different pathway where I just pause for like two seconds, which is, I always, I always think of like thought patterns as like little like pathways that we put our little like brain wagon on. And like when you've been down one a million times, it's just got like some really good like wheel wells and roots. And so um, you just like it before you even think like your wheels find those little ruts and then you're like a mile down this path before you've even like noticed that you're moving. And so like for me, it's very important for me to like build in many pathways and give myself like a lot of time with each of those so that I have more choices when I'm in that moment. And it's not my nervous system just like making a snap decision before I've gotten the chance to evaluate like, is that actually what I want or how I'm feeling right now? Yeah. Whenever I'm having like a first reaction, like I think a lot about the ways that like capitalism and white supremacy and all of these oppressive systems that we are all talking about, you know, is, is like the, those systems want us to operate out of urgency. And, and that just what you said about how so much nuance exists in just that one breath is like the, the homework of all of our lives that I think we all need to put at the top of our to-do list, (laughs) like taking, like resisting urgency, like so much about like not not even just like posting something online but like I see this in my like everyday life all the time that if I take the time to just take a pause and think deeper about the thing that is coming out of my mouth like I know that like you know we hear as kids think before you speak or whatever and I think we later like as we grow in life maybe don't always consider that but again like that's I think the toddler method comes into play here of like thinking before you speak like and and pushing against that urgency that I think is just drilled into us is like so much where is like where that connection thrives and like how we can connect yeah with ourselves and with one another yes and I'm gonna add one thing further and say Also, aligning with the toddler method, it's really important to feel before you speak because so much of the time we're like in our like, God, this sounds so, so like pop psychology. So like I've been in therapy for 20 years, which I have, but like prefrontal cortex, you're in your prefrontal cortex where you're like, you know, thinking of the mean thing that you want to say, you want to like get something out of your system that feels bad, right? And so, you know, maybe your brain throws together some some mean thing you want to say or whatever, when actually if you took a second to like feel before you speak, you could just be like, oh, I feel bad. And so I'm not coming from a place where like Mm -hmm. I can have the connection Mm -hmm. I want or I can get this person to understand me or I can understand them. And if you could just be like a toddler about it and be like, actually, I feel bad and I just like need a hug or I just need to go get a snack or I just need to take a second to like really sit with this feeling before I, you know, maybe escalate the situation like it would help so much. Yeah, which is it is like just that process of of letting go of the need for urgency, which is also the need for certainty, the need to like have all the answers immediately all the time. And it's so funny because I, you know, I I'll post a lot online about like um, 
about like moving more slowly and like, yeah, mm-hmm. resisting that urgency, resisting the need for hyper productivity. And people are often like, how do I practice this when I have like a full-time job that has like these huge demands of me? Like I have, I have grad school, I have kids, I can't like slow living is not accessible for me. And totally understand that like there is absolutely different layers of like what that looks like and how accessible it is. But I think we also do ourselves a disservice when we think that like slow living is about like having an hours long morning routine and getting to like sit still for, for like 10 for an hour, like after work or whatever, instead of it being about like, when you get an email, think would anything bad happen if I didn't respond to this for two hours? Or like, can you take a deep breath after you've heard something that hurt your feelings before you respond? Like that the practice exists in these like tiny spaces that are like a lot more accessible to all of us and like taking it out of the like wellness industry, like sexy self-care routines and putting it back in like just how you approach your life and how you respond to things and allowing yourself to be like only emergencies get to be emergencies here. Like I'm not going to treat everything like it's an emergency is like such a radical practice that is available to all of us all the time. Yes, but it can be in the small moments. I love what you're saying about the small things because this has been a huge thing for myself. Like, deprogramming urgency. The last two years of my life have literally been all about deprogramming urgency. So before, like before, if I would get a text message from a friend, I would like sometimes get into a panic state of like, I need to answer this immediately or Mm -hmm. they're not going to be my friend anymore and they're not going to understand blah, blah, blah. No, no, actually no. And so it's like, I'm much slower about the little things and just taking that step back to do exactly what you said, which is say, to myself, okay, I feel a sense of urgency that has been programmed into me that I've internalized. What is anything bad actually going to happen if I don't answer this right away? If I don't eat dinner at the time that I had planned to, if my schedule gets changed a little bit. And so much of it is our 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 need for, yeah. for certainty. Yeah. Yeah. Um- I'm curious to to kind of maybe start to close this out a little bit. I'm kind of curious um, if there if there's a story that you have or a moment um, in your life that you can kind of reflect on where um, you did allow yourself to experience your feelings in a way that felt like really self honoring or something that you're really proud of, um, or if there's like the opposite if there was a way that that you experience your feelings that that you you know maybe wish you would have rejected that urgency um a little bit Mm -hmm. more either one or both yeah i'm I'm just curious about um yeah totally i love this question the journalist in me sees the journalist in you. <laughs> I also love this question. And yeah, I always think about there was like one evening several years ago where like I I had like a I had had a, a super packed work week, was in a very busy work season in general, had been just like pushing through a lot of things, had like a meeting that I was supposed to get on that evening and I realized like 15 minutes before the meeting started that like I actually can't do anything until I have a breakdown. Cause like, there's just been so much backlogged right now. Like I, there's like nothing else that's going to happen until these feelings happen. So I canceled all my plans for the evening and spent like two hours just like raging, like journaling it out, crying it out, like grieving 
having anxiety breakdowns, like just all of the things just like happened. And my favorite thing was that I realized like how enjoyable it ended up being when I had no judgment around it, that there was something that was so deeply cathartic and like beautiful and tender about just being like, I'm going to wrap myself in a blanket and I'm going to let all the feelings out and I'm going to text Ian and Ian's going to bring me French fries. And like, that's a good evening. Like, but I'm having all these feelings that I've like historically been so ashamed of and so afraid of and built so many stories around that have made them like the worst, most uncomfortable thing in the world. And that was like a big, I think that was the first time that I really felt myself embody this like all of my feelings are good and I like get to have them all and like getting to see how enjoyable the most like scary feelings are when you get to let yourself have them fully was like this big shift that like, yeah, has like shifted things since then of just, yeah, periodically being like, I need to have a breakdown night and I love my breakdown nights. They're actually very fun when you have the space for them. So highly recommend. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's really generative to allow yourself to have yeah. the breakdown. Well, and also like to create the space for yourself to have that experience because like mm-hmm. I will put that experience off until I cannot anymore sometimes and then it comes at the least. I've watched you do that. <laughs> I know. I'm working on it. Um, yeah. And I just, yeah, that... I think allowing yourself the space to like intentionally sit in that is a practice that not only I am, uh, you know, inspired by, but I think that like a lot of other people need that permission as well. Ooh, my wrap up question for this is for both of you, you can each answer this. And if I can think of something, I'll also answer it. Um, is there a specific resource that you have that helps you like honor that and like give yourself the space to like sit with hard feelings and have them when you need to as opposed mm-hmm. to pushing them off? And what is the resource? I'm a big I'm not even sure if this is like in line with what you're asking. My biggest resource is like my heated blanket and just like softness and warmth in general is like the moment that I access that it's like, oh yeah, like of course I'm just like, I'm just a little garden gnome who just wants to have a little feeling right now. Like there's something about that that just like puts me in this, like such a softer way of relating to myself. (laughs) And so, yeah. I think I'm about to go buy a heated blanket for myself. I mean, I don't love that because I hate the heat so much. That sounds like a absolute nightmare, but I (laughs) see that. (laughs) That's why you live where you live and I live where I live. (laughs) Exactly that. Exactly. Because when I, I, it's like, yeah, the Texas summer to me is I walk outside and I'm like wrapped in a heated blanket and I'm like, thank you. (laughs) It's very regulating. Nope, no. I lived in Arizona. Not for me. Yeah. Not um, for me. Yeah. Understandable. The thing that's actually, you know, the thing that I love about this is that we have our own thing. And the thing that I am going to say for mine is something that I've discovered in the last year that I think at the beginning I held a lot of shame around. But watching reality TV, watching The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. <laughs> has like really I mean other housewives franchises as well but like really like allowing myself to like 
post up, be sad and try again tomorrow while in the the presence and comfort of Heather Gay and Whitney Rose. Like I can't, I just, there's, and then usually after that, like once I've just like sat in my, it, with a blanket, but not a heated blanket, like, and have done so in such an unjudgmental way, like, I don't know, being able to just like watch TV and like be a sad, whatever, angry blob is like, I don't know. I love reality TV and I think it's such a great tool to sit in our feelings. (laughs) And I will say that my resource, which has been radically life-changing for me, is um, when I'm having a breakdown, um, I'm such a a person who has been isolated most of my life um, that I've always basically had to have breakdowns by myself. Um, and just like curl up into a ball and cry in a corner my entire life. And having cats, Mm. getting cats in the last year has been so life-changing. For the first time in my 30 years of of living, I have beings that I can go to when I'm in a hard place and they will comfort me. And I know that is not radical for a lot of people because a lot of people have just had very different lives than I have had. But literally just having the resource of having beings, even though they're not humans, that I can go to and I can cuddle with them and I can have hard emotions and they're not judging me and they don't give a fuck that I'm crying everywhere and that I look like I'm a mess and that I'm maybe like not the quote unquote best version of myself in that moment. They're going to cuddle with me and meow in my ear and request pets because they love me. I love, I love that. that. I also, yeah, yeah, we need each other. I think that's the lesson of that. Like, we need yeah. each other. I highly relate to that because I think for the majority of my life, my biggest emotional regulator resource was just my mirror. Like, when I was having a big feeling, I'd go stand in my bathroom and talk to myself in the mirror. And the moment that somebody was like, hey, yeah. You can talk to other people instead of talking in the mirror. I was like, why? Like, I'm going to figure everything out with myself. Yeah. Like, I can just have my own conversations and it'll be chill. And then I'll tell you once I've figured out all the things I need to know. And realizing that, like, actually there is something vastly different when you get to go to other people with your feelings or other beings, pets included, like, before you have them figured out and before you've, like, gotten past them is, like, a radically different experience and – yeah. A lot more vulnerable. I thought I was yeah. doing vulnerability, but if you only talk to people yeah. after you've like figured it all out, that's not vulnerability. <laughs> Hot take. What a good conversation. That was so great. And I feel very nourished and feel very soupy and feel like mm-hmm. we just, yeah, I feel like that was everything you said. I just, it really resonated. And yeah, I'm just really grateful for like all of the work that you do and all the things you put out into the world to help us all feel more tender towards ourselves and like resist this idea of urgency that we all desperately need to resist. <laughs> I agree. Some days, some days when I'm having a hard time or even when I'm having an okay time, even though I go to like some people that you mentioned, Frankie, a lot, like Adrienne Marie Brown, or I, I've also read a lot of like Audre Lorde. I've read a lot of like Toni Morrison. Like I have a big shelf of books where all of my favorite go-to books are that I need when I need them are and I go to them. But some days I'm just like, I'm going to go to Frankie's TikTok 
because she's going to have a video that I need to watch that's going to help me like sit yep. tenderly with myself. Um, so you have also been a resource. Also, before I forget, I feel like a very, very important last question before we transition to our segment is, Frankie, if you were a soup, what kind of soup would you be? This is a very important question. I think I would be like a vegetarian chicken noodle soup. That's my favorite soup. It is just my go-to on every hard day. And I think I think in my best, most nourishing, most self-tenderness self, I'm a I'm a vegetarian chicken noodle soup. What is what's in that? What is that? It tastes like, like chicken tastes noodle like? soup, but the chicken bits are plant-based chicken. Which is, it's been a big thing for me this year that I've like found that that's a thing that exists and that it is like just as satisfying as the alternative because for a long time after going vegetarian, I was like, I just really want a bowl of chicken noodle soup right now. So in case any other veg people are out there, it's there for you. Have you had Jack and Annie's jackfruit, like fake chicken things? Yes. I think jackfruit isn't my favorite for chicken specifically, um, but I think I have had it and it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I hate the texture of jackfruit. So I actually, my, the thing that changed my life was like chickpea noodle soup, which is basically just Mm -hmm. chicken noodle soup, except you put chickpeas in there. That's a pretty good situation. That's good. I'm learning so many new things about feelings and culture (laughs) soup. Oh my God. Um, Okay. Well, uh, next up, we're going to introduce a segment to you called Cease the Means of Reduction. Of course, it is an anti-capitalist soup pun because I Mm -hmm. am who I am. So in Cease the Means of Reduction, uh, whenever we bring this segment up, either with me and Sam or with a guest, we are going to be talking about how capitalism and feelings interact, either how capitalism affects our feelings or how our feelings affect the way that we can or do participate in capitalism. Um, and, uh, I don't know, Frankie, is there, is there something about capitalism and feelings and the way they interact that you want to talk about for, for a few minutes Mm. to close out the pod? I always think about the way that capitalism treats us like commodities and like resources to be used and the way that that impacts the way we treat our feelings, where we see feelings as either like problems to be fixed because they are making us less productive and less good at being a nice little commodity or as like the destination because they make us good at um at at doing the things and um yeah like it, it takes us out of being allowed to treat our feelings it's just like experiences to be had because we constantly have like this timeline and this like project we need to move through and towards um and yeah it really makes it hard to just like neutralize your feelings because you think you have to be in this certain place. Um, and I think that shows up a lot in like even just like our self-care conversations, like how often we are told to take care of ourselves because it will like make us more productive on the other end of things. And um, yeah, just like the the amount of layers that there are between us and just like our core raw experience and being allowed to let it last as long as it needs to and be honest with it um, are very capitalistic in nature, I believe. Also, like it makes us label our feelings as totally. good and bad because good feelings are the ones that allow us to be more creative, more productive, and quote unquote bad feelings are the ones that, you know, take us away from our abilities to mm-hmm. to produce. And that's 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 bullshit. There is no good or bad feeling. There are just feelings that affect the ways that we're able 
to live our yeah. lives. Kind of to go back into what you were talking about <laughs> with like the self-care conversation. Like I think so much I've been really just like reflecting on the what I like to call the goopification of of wellness and you know Gwyneth Paltrow really just overtaking the the way that we quote unquote should take care of ourselves and the idea of um, that we can buy something in order to move through our feelings more quote unquote productively like I cannot freaking stand the idea that we can bit buy ourselves into wellness or buy ourselves into care or nourish like obviously you can buy yourself into nourishment because we live in the world that we do where we exchange money for products and goods but but even then like I have in a lot of ways so many issues with that because like at our base core as humans we should be able to access nourishment with ease hot tank And so, yeah, capitalism in a way that, like, we have to, not only how it has now been marketed to us that we must buy something in order to work through our feelings, but also how capitalism, like, gets in the way of basic, like, just basic needs that also, um, obviously, it makes sense when we don't have, like, access to our basic needs that, like, we aren't able to move through emotions in a way that like would maybe be more self-honoring because like capitalism just gets in the way of that in so many ways and so yeah that's that's... and yes exactly but I also to bring just one more aspect into this I think about this all the time and I have feelings about this all the time because there are so many things that we need access to to yeah. function in a healthy way where where we can just like have our, our basic needs met that you can't yes. buy. Like again, going back to I've been alone for so much of my life, much of my life and especially during the pandemic has been not having access to literally just hugs. I really need like physical affection and like care from people who love me and who I love. And for the majority of the last two years, I do not have anyone to go to for just hugs and you can't buy that. And I wouldn't want someone to sell it to me. I mean, we have actually made that viable. There are people who do like not sex work, but like the, um, there are people who like, you you know, you can pay to like just come cuddle you. And I think that's cool. And I also don't want to do that because I don't really want to. I don't know how I feel that maybe that's another conversation, but I don't know how I feel about modifying like affection from people. Yeah, physical connection, any type of. I don't know. That's that's a maybe another podcast. But like, I think about that all the time. That like, I don't know how does that play into things when you know you're being marketed oh buy this thing and it will you know make it easier for you to like live your life and show up to your job or whatever like there are so many basic needs that we need met and deserve to have met food housing affection care community care housing uh that that you shouldn't have to buy that should should just be available and that that many many people don't have access to and that 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 makes it really hard to exist in the world and really hard to have feelings and yeah screw you capitalism 
But I think it's so powerful to claim the things that are healing um, and nourishing that are not that you can't buy because when everything yeah. that makes you feel better is a thing to buy, it keeps you in the trap of like, I have to feel the good way so I can go to the job that gets me the money to buy the yep. things that make me feel the good way. Like it's just this constant yeah. cycle. So stepping out of that and being like, or I can just go outside. Oh. And like, yeah. that yeah. helps too. Yes. Like is yeah. big. Yes. Just taking walks. So much of my self-care is literally just taking walks. Yeah. Looking at birds, bird watching, big sure. one. Love that. You can't buy sunsets. Oh. You can't buy bird watching. You can't buy foraging in the park for mushrooms, which I do a lot. Those are priceless feelings. That's true. Which it's funny. Really? Can't. As like as a fellow uh, bird gal, it's funny how often people on Instagram message me and they're like, yeah. "So what do I need to get into bird watching?" <laughs> like. Uh, you go outside and you look at the birds. And it's like there are well, other things that are like, you know, having binoculars is fun. Do, um, unfortunately, you do need eyes. Sure. But I'm that, that I'm assuming that the people that are watching me like probably uh, if they don't have eyes, they're not looking to get into bird watching at the moment. Um, so and that is also not something I can help them by. Very disability justice lens of like, oh, is this insensitive? <laughs> Sorry, as a legally blind person, anyway, everyone not see without thing. my glasses. <laughs> but um, uh, I'm like, but what am I being insensitive to blind people by saying that people should yeah. go bird watching? True, <laughs> DJ, DJ. Next time oh, somebody right. asks me if if what they what they should buy to get into bird watching, I'll tell them glasses. Thank you for bringing that up. Binoculars <laughs> are great. They're very helpful, but I just think, oh, I just, I just think to start most of the time you can just go outside and if, if you oh, don't me. have the eyes, you can also listen for the birds, which is nice and you don't actually need anything, which is good. Yeah. The thing that I loved about the pandemic, actually, the, maybe the only, <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that I have loved about or, okay, I, it's not really a thing anymore. But in the beginning of the pandemic, I would say in, like, the first year, because people couldn't go to, like, restaurants and bars and whatever to meet up, people were, go, were doing the things that I've been doing for the majority of my life and the ways that I've created connection and friendship and relationships. Going to parks together, going on walks, playing board games, like doing go, like, doing virtual art museum tours, stuff like that. There are so many ways to connect with each other that don't have to be giving money somewhere or like going to an establishment, not to be like, I hate the man, I hate establishments, but like, well, that's how I am. But (laughs) there are so many good ways to connect with people that don't have to be like giving money to establishments. And I... I, I hope that more people would continue to lean into those things because I think they're some of the best ways that we can connect with each other and just be with each other. Yeah. Say that. I just did. I know. Um, well, I think that that is a great place to wrap up. <laughs> I was going to say, Frankie, do you want to uh, tell us where our listeners can find you? Can do that. Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram at Frankie Doodle Dandy and TikTok at Hey Frankie Simmons. 
And those are the places that I hang out. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find us on feelingsuitpod.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at feelingsuitpod. You can also support us on Patreon by going to our website. We really appreciate your support. You can find me, Sam Slupski, on Instagram at theyaresam, on Twitter at celery sliced, and on TikTok at sam double underscore ham. I have a lot of handles. We deal with it. We do deal with it. And you can find me, Ellie Bell, wherever you can find people on the internet, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, at literally. It's like literally, but with my name, E-L-L-Y. Um, and uh, the Feeling Soup theme song was uh, written by me, Ellie Bell, and Mal Blum, and performed by Mal Blum. And the logo uh, and our art was created by Sarah Day, who you can find at Sarah Day Arts. Thanks so much for listening.